You gonna do this or not? Yeah, I'm just checking the sound. Just get get going. I want to get home already. All right, calm down. I'm just. Why do you have to be so mean to me? I'm not being mean to you. You're annoying. I just I want to go home already, and you've been sitting around. You do nothing with your life, and you do this stupid podcast. Tell us who's on the show. Welcome to the show. That's a good start. That's good. Welcome, everybody. There you go. See, I'm not being mean. That was good. All right. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, the great Judah Friedlander joins us. You have Judah Friedlander. Seriously. Frank from 30 Rock. Yeah, that's right. He's on my show. He, does he know he's doing the David Feldman show? What'd you tell him? It was like Joe Rogan or something? No, I told him the truth. He, he's a friend of mine. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. I started doing comedy with Judah Friedlander. Yeah, and why don't you stop doing comedy with Judah Friedlander? Right? Just stop it already. It didn't work out for you. It worked out for Judah He's gone off to a, a fabulous career. I, I love him on 30 Rock. I love his Netflix specials. People want to see Judah Friedlander. They don't want to watch you tell jokes. So just stop. Give up. It didn't work out for you. Kind of like this podcast. Just, just quit already. Stop making people suffer through, I guess, this illness that you have where you scream for attention but it's not interesting you're screaming for attention but it's a boring scream judah friedlander joins us and he's doing a show today at 3 p.m eastern if you want to watch it february 3rd it starts at 3 p.m eastern and that would be 8 p.m in london check out judah's live stand-up it's pay what you want Go to judahfriedlander.com today, Friday, to attend his virtual show. I would watch that. That sounds... So it's pay what you want? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a dollar through Eventbrite. I think you have to pay one dollar. The rest is up to you. Well, you should try that. You should uh, do a show where people pay what they want. And you'd end up having to send money to your audience. That's to ask the people to pay what they wanted. You would end up with like negative a thousand dollars. You'd owe the audience for sitting through this crap you try to pass off as entertainment. God, you're boring. Have you been out of the apartment? You know, this isn't a jail cell. You're, you're free to wander around New York City. You look like Edgar Winter in a snowstorm. I've never seen anybody whiter than you. You look like shit. You, you look horrible. Go outside. You're just like the poster boy for vitamin D deficiency. Get some sunlight. And hopefully some of that sunlight will, well, give you something that will shorten your life. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, if you stay in the sun too long, you get sick. Oh, you want me to get... Yeah, I do. I do. I want you to go away. I want you to stop doing comedy. I want you to stop doing this podcast. I just want you to disappear. You're just, just horrible. You're just a horrible human being. You're not nice to me. No, I'm a truth teller. You fancy yourself a truth teller? I'm telling you the truth. You suck. 
okay. Yeah, who else is on the show? Well, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld. Oh, the psychiatrist. Yeah, and after talking to you, I could use one. You could use a psychiatrist after talking to a tree stump. You're so mentally ill. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a real Freudian psychoanalyst with his son, Ethan. Oh, he, they see, he's funny. You talking about uh, comedian Ethan Hirschfeld from Thug Thug Jew? Yeah, yeah, he's on the show. Why would he do your show? Why would these people do your show? I mean, I can understand why Dr. Philip Hirschenfeld does your show, because he's a psychiatrist, and he must, like, view you as a charity case, like pro bono work. But why would Ethan Hirschenfeld, brilliant, he, he wrote a book, right? Yeah, it's called Today Is Now. Very funny. Very funny. He does that with his alter ego, Dr. Samuel Benjamin. I've read that book three times, and I laughed harder, harder each time I uh, read it. Do you know what the word harder means? Uh, yes. Why do I suspect that you're going to... Make fun of your penis? No, not. I, I wouldn't expect you to do anything like that. Okay, so Ethan Hershenfeld is doing your show, and you've got Judah Friedlander, which I don't believe. He's on the show. I, <laughs> why? Why would he, what does he stand to gain from doing the show? Well, he actually listens to it. Nobody listens to this show. Judah is a fan of this show. No, he's not. Nobody's a fan of you or this show. Judah Friedlander, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, and uh, Ethan Hershenfeld. Can we get to it already? What, what else do you have to tell the people? Well, we're going to do office hours. That's exciting. You've never, you've never mentioned office hours on this show before. Well, we do it uh, every Friday night. At 6 p.m. Yes, you, you're building a community of like-minded losers. So it's at 6 p.m. Eastern? Exactly, because we used to start at... 8 o'clock, I know, and now you're trying to accommodate your European listeners by starting at 6 p.m. Eastern instead of uh, 8 p.m. You are Trey Continental. Thank you. And on today's show, uh, we're going to talk about mass psychosis, the fear of death, and whether the children of billionaires can be rich. Well, that's something your kids don't have to worry about. The children of billionaires can be rich? What does that mean? I made a mistake. I meant to say whether or not the children of billionaires can be happy. Oh, okay. You didn't make a mistake. Either way, it wasn't interesting. Children of billionaires, whether or not billionaires' children can be rich, or whether or not the Children of billionaires can be happy. Either way, it's a snore fest. You are a snore fest. Office hours every Friday night starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. What, what is this? Am I in a Grand Canyon? I hear an echo. How many times are you going to say that office hours starts every Friday night at 6 p.m.? All you need is Zoom. And all you need is a toupee and a facelift. God, you're hideous. Okay, go to my website for the link for office hours. And while you're over there, sign up for my newsletter. You do a newsletter? Yeah, I write a weekly newsletter. Weekly as in it's week? Like you write it weekly, like you have no power? No, it comes out every Friday. Okay, Friday 
you send out a newsletter and why should anybody want to read what you have to say? It has the link for office hours. Oh, okay. So I'll subscribe. I'll go to office hours tonight at 6 p.m. just to watch you self-destruct. Coming up, Judah Friedlander and then the Hershenfelds. Stay with me. They're not staying with you. If anybody is stupid enough to keep listening to this show, it's because you have Judah Friedlander on and they'll try to block out anything you say. And afterwards, you've got Dr. Philip Hershenfeld and Ethan Hershenfeld. So they're going to stick around to listen to them and pretend you don't exist. God, you look like shit. Do you have a mirror or anything? Did you, do you, why would you expose me to this pathetic relief map of Mars you try to pass off as a face? You, you need sunlight, vitamin D, exercise, and a prostitute. I, I will spring for a prostitute for you because you look like you haven't been touched since Davy Mammal babysat for you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Judah Friedlander joins us. Hello, Judah. Uh, good evening. Or good morning, depending on the people listening to us overseas. I'm a you... night guy. I'm a night guy. You are a night guy. Everybody says he's such a night guy. Mm-hmm. He's so night. You're so night to people. Hey, mm-hmm. you do a a live show via Zoom for audiences all around the world. How do people how do people watch it? And well, I understand it's pay having, what you can, right? Or pay what you of, Yeah, yeah, it's pay what you want. Um so instead of like doing it on Zoom where I do it at home and then anyone can log in from anywhere, I actually go to different cities and you can only be in that city and log on in Zoom. <laughs> Is that true? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do it uh, from right here. It's such a great idea, though. Yeah, I do it from right here at Freedom Headquarters. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's it's pay what you want, and uh, yeah, it's usually every Saturday night, nine o'clock Eastern, so six o'clock Western. Other times, other places, and then about once every two three weeks, I'll do a daytime show at three o'clock Eastern. So it's you know nighttime for Middle Eastern Europe. And um, each show is about two hours. I usually do about 90 minutes. And people can have their cameras on if they want, their mics on. So it's, you know, it can be interactive. So, so basically, like, if someone has their camera off and mic off, that's like sitting in the back of a, of a comedy venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want your camera on, that's sort of like sitting in the first, you know, first few rows. Right, right. Yeah. And you haven't been in the comedy clubs in three years because of COVID. I, yeah, it's um, next month. It'll be three years. Yeah. What do you miss most about the comedy clubs? Uh, I think the two drink minimum. I think that's a great <laughs> policy. You know, like like when I want to go to a show, it's like I want to be forced to buy like two glasses of overpriced watered down alcohol, you know? Right. I mean, that's why I don't go to the movies anymore. Like, there's no popcorn minimum or or drink minimum. It's right. like, who wants that, you know? And there's nobody walking in front of you serving drinks when you're, yeah, dr- when I, you're I right. Mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to go um, to the ballet and have to pay, 
you know, the wait staff after the show. I want to pay it right during the show, like mm-hmm. in the finale. You Near know, the end. Like, yeah. Yeah. And be like completely interrupted. That's what I want in the show. And you and I went to see Swan Lake. Yeah. And you can't talk back to the performers at the ballet. Did you know? You know for, for ballet, I'm actually okay with that because they can't speak. I mean, that's why people go into the ballet. Oh, that's know. why I got thrown out. They're not allowed yeah. to speak at all? Yeah, that was actually offensive, what you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, like, I, I wanted to be a part of the show, you know, when you yeah. go to see a stand-up. I, I actually went to a really bad ballet once, and they the performers talk through the whole thing because they are they couldn't really show what was going on through dance. They weren't like <laughs> so they just, like, they just really, like, said, you know, what should be happening. <laughs> Oy, that, that, if I were a ballet dancer, most of what I would say is, oy, oh, my ba- oy, oy. Yeah. There are things you'd, you'd be in the monologue portion. Of the <laughs> there are things that people can do with their bodies that are otherworldly that I, I can barely. Now, you are a world champion. How do you stay in shape? Most oh. of us in the past three years have stayed indoors we're afraid to go outside what are your secrets to uh staying healthy young and vibrant it's very important um is eating what you eat you have to know what is the most important thing to eat and that is uh the rich the rich eating rich people yeah that's how you get in shape okay now, do you check to see the ingredients? Sometimes I've eaten rich people, and it turns out they're upper middle class. Don't you think mm-hmm. the Food and Drug Administration should post still, the... Still helpful. Still helpful. It's helpful to eat the upper middle class? Yeah, because if you think they're super rich, uh, that's still going to... Like, the body knows how to like adjust for that. It's the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. But what, what happens... Because I have found myself eat, thinking I'm eating a billionaire. And you realize, no, I've just been served a homeless person. There's no nutrition here. And you can't call the police. It's, they say, caveat emptor or whatever, buyer beware. Well, you're actually getting to a more important point, And that is that I think all cops should be billionaires. That's uh, They're not? Apparently not. You know, I mean, if you can't trust a billionaire cop, who can you trust? Why aren't they billionaires? That's who they protect on the streets. It doesn't make any Corrupt sense. system, David. So they're only million cops are only millionaires. That's what I'm going to do when I'm president. I'm going to reform the police so that they only protect billionaires instead of multimillionaires and billionaires. Yeah. Let's let's get them focused. We yeah, so they, they they're diluted. They they should only be protecting mm. property and billionaires. And property that's really worth a lot. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Billionaire property. So we do have a policing problem in this country. That they I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That that they're protecting the wrong people. Too many doctors, not enough cops. Too many teachers. I mean Doctor actually means teacher in, in Latin, so uh, that falls under that category, so you are correct. So we should spend more money on cops 
Too many, I think too many schools, too many libraries, too many books. One school is too many. Homeschool. That's still a school. It's wrong. Yeah. I think kids are small because God wanted them to crawl behind all those machines in the factories. And fix. Yeah. You can't get. Yes, absolutely. So kids should be going to work. At what age? What, what is an appropriate age to send a child to work? Um, when they're still inside their pregnant mothers. Mm-hmm. Birth them right there. Get them to work. And I, I like may not do yeah. much, but it can be a paperweight. It could, you know, you can put it. It can be a doorstop. You can put it places where it could actually be functional. And give and itself, it can, and yeah. it can absorb that work environment. You know, be part of the team. Be a be a team player. Be a family member. And it improves the work ethic. You see your mother working. Your and there are no absentee parents. They always say, "Oh, the mom has to go off to work, and she can't afford daycare." No. You bring little Billy to the auto factory and he's a doorstop. Yeah. And then we can finally close all the day centers, which I've been I've been for closing them for about 30 years. We need to close all the daycare centers. Why? Why can't they don't care about the night? They don't care about the night. They only care about the day. There are no night care centers, are there? No. For children. I'm a night guy. Yeah. Which is why you don't have kids, because there are no night care centers. Why, why would anyone do that to kids? Yeah. Have them raised at a place that only cares about the day. It, it's kind of prejudiced against night owls. I, I think it's what started climate change. Is the lack of night care centers for children. Yeah. Because... You only care about the sun. How do you think the moon feels? Like garbage. I yeah. don't want to say those words, but yes. And as a, as, as a parent of uh, several children, I think many of my marriages would have lasted had there been night care centers. So when you have a baby who's keeping you up at night or making it impossible for you and your spouse to engage in a loving relationship to manufacture more. Yeah, or you're at home at night. You know, you're trying to, you know, do whatever on the computer and, and your kids bugging you to play, mm -hmm. and like help with homework. And, you know, this is your downtime, you know. And if I could take the, the kid to a night care center. That's what I'm saying. And then when I'm on my way to work, I carpool with the kid. And he or she spends 14 hours with me at the factory working as a doorstop. Yeah. And just think if all the cars actually had a pool in it. Well, they usually, if, you, if you're driving for Amazon, they do have a little pool because they don't allow pee breaks. But you can't really, oh, yeah. you can't swim in that. Yeah. Well, you can actually. Boy, th this country, it it's just stupid. They, 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 they don't. They don't think creatively here. They're, they're they never do. It's part of the corporatization problem of the country. Yeah. So cops should be billionaires, or at least millionaires. I said billionaires, David. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what about citizens? I see a millionaire cop. I see a failure of government. I see a billionaire cop. I'm like, the country's working. Yeah. It's a policy failure if a cop is just a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And what about citizens protecting cops? It it seems like we've become kind of, uh, we have a sense of entitlement where we think, oh, there's the cop. He's going to protect me or he's going to solve this crime. Well, I think... If we, when I talk about more cops, I really mean more cops. I mean, what if everyone was a cop? The country would be really safe, and we'd and all everyone be everyone would be a billionaire. We'd all be billionaires. Be yeah, and that would fix the economy. Right, and nobody would need to steal or rob anything. Nope. Which means we wouldn't need cops, and then we wouldn't need billionaires. And then it's solved. And it's all so, the whole thing is solved. What you about make everyone a billionaire cop? The whole system implodes, and then we can go back to love and freedom. Love and freedom, yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse, you, you are saying that he should be drafted, uh, and he should run for office. Maybe vice. No, pre- that's not what I'm saying, David. Now you're you're now you're just saying things. Sorry. Never apologize. You're an American. Okay. But America's never done anything wrong, David. I never said it did. I, I'm, I would, I love this country. And you know that I would gladly send anybody's child other than mine off to defend it. Why, why, what did I read? I thought I read somewhere that you were good friends with Kyle Rittenhouse. Nope. And that you were urging him to run for office. I must have. I'm no, too, that wasn't me. That wasn't, that me wasn't you. Okay. And that must have been one of your other friends. I, I don't have any other friends. Oh, I'm monogamous. Okay. I mean, wouldn't you be upset if you found out that I had another friend? No, I'd actually be a little bit relieved. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like me calling you four times a day asking you what you're up to. David, I don't think that's ever happened. I call you like four times a day. You never call me, David. I do. What are you doing? What are you people thinking? People ask me, like, I hardly ever do podcasts. And and people ask me, why do you do a podcast? And I'm like, because I can't get anyone to talk to me on the phone. It's like <laughs> conversation has been monetized in society. Yeah. And if it's not a money-making thing, it's, it's, it's been a publicized thing. Right. No, no, I, I, I like your show a lot, and I like doing it, but I really don't do podcasts often. But and, and I'm not talking with your show, but I mean, like, in general, if you look at the podcast scheme of things in the U.S., right. conversation really has been, you know, corporatized. Com- commodified. Commodified. Yeah. yeah. I won't talk to anybody unless I can hit record. Yeah. Everything in my life is a podcast. And then when everyone's just trying to make money and get famous with podcasts, everything they talk about, I'm not saying everyone, but you know, a lot is, is like geared towards uh, what they think the algorithm is going to promote the most. Right. Now, what is the, now, we, what is the, conversations aren't real. No. Yeah. What is the algorithm? I always hear that term. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Does it really exist? Or is it something they made up? 
I, I initially thought it was um, the former vice president referring to his dancing skills. Dick Al Cheney? Dick Cheney? No, Al Gore Rhythm. Al Gore Rhythm. rhythm. Stiff. Yeah. 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 Oh, Al Gore, the algorithm. Oh, the algorithm. Yeah. That'll get you. The algorithm will get you. Yeah, that's what I initially thought it was. Yeah. People say he invented the Internet. But it, it seems like. So it seems like algorithm would be named after him. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe that's what. That's, it's just a guess. You know, I'm just an athlete. I don't know everything. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, sports uh, and in a second. It It feels like. Al- the algorithm, whenever I get fired from a writing job or mm-hmm. a show gets canceled, they, they say it's the algorithm. It's the algorithm. It, it just seems to be a useful a catch-all for rejection. It's not my fault. Good point. Like it's a, it's a new scapegoat is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And so are we, do you think we're blaming like I'm breaking up with you. It's not your fault. It's the algorithm. Do you think we're getting to a point where that's? I think that's actually very perceptive, and I think I think you're onto something, and that might be happening soon. So, I mean, I could see that for real. I could see like people meet on uh, Bumble or you know one of those dating sites, and they initially think it's great, then after a few dates, they realize it's not, and then they actually blame it on the algorithm for connecting them. And so the algorithm keeps studying you. It measures what you purchase, what you like, if you list, what you listen to, what you watch. And eventually That's why I don't buy anything or listen to anything. You got to fight it. You got to fight it because they're building a profile of you, mm-hmm. of what you like and dislike. And then they could figure out the algorithm theoretically can figure out who you should be linked up to kind of like a dating site right right but in a dating site you have choice the algorithm dictates who you should be married it dictates to. the choice right it dictates and that's better wouldn't you like the algorithm to say this is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. That's what I'm looking for. You can't, you can't let the, the computers and the robots win, David. Is it letting the computers or robots win or making my life simple, telling me what I want? No, it's, it's desimplifying your brain and your passion. I don't you're think... The ro- you're letting the robots dictate one of the most important things in your life. But I think you're making a mistake by anthropomorphizing the algorithm and calling it a robot. I think it's a beautiful system that we should trust. For example, yeah, I think you're part of the problem now. You don't like the fact that when you go to the Daily Beast, David, we're starting to get into an argument and I'm going to blame it on the algorithm. Well, the algorithm told me to discuss this with you. I'm, I'm, I'm a slave to the algorithm. There you go. You don't trust ones and zeros. You don't think ones and zeros know better than humans. How can a one and a zero get along? Uh, one is number one, and the other is a total zero. <laughs> <laughs> 
opposites attract. Do you think there's a, a person out there? Mm-hmm. How many people are there? Eight billion people on the planet? Something like that, I think. Yeah. The algorithm, only the algorithm. They say there's somebody out there for us, right? Uh, who said that? They always say there's one person out. Who's they? The algorithm. Okay. The algorithm says that there's a person out there who will totally get us and laugh and love everything we say and do. But you don't have time. I don't know that that, that, that wasn't my goal in this conversation. Your goal, what is your goal? It's not really a goal, actually, David. The only goal, really, is is to vibe and, um, you know, vibe, entertain, grow, learn, teach, all that stuff, man. Right. To see what happens. So That's really what it is, is to see what happens and enjoy it along the way. No matter what sport you try, you succeed at it beyond expectations. Is there any sport that you're not good at where you feel humbled? Hasn't happened yet. Is there a sport where you're, are you better at one sport than you are at another? Soccer or football or depending on, you know, they call it other things in the world too. Right. We're not the only ones who call it soccer or who don't call it football. Calcio is what they call it in uh, Italy. Nogomet in uh, Croatia. So it's... Uh, it's, it's a myth that everyone calls it football except us. Why does it keep changing its name? Well, I think just different countries just have different names for it, as far as I know. You don't think it's trying to deceive? No. no. You don't think it's deceptive? No. No. And I think it's okay to call it different things. Yeah. So your favorite sport to play, what is it? Soccer. You love playing football. soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Then ping pong. And those are the two most international sports in the world. Ping pong and soccer. Soccer being number one. And then yeah. ping pong. And you've combined the two, right? You've, you've created. They do have that, actually. And I forget the name for it. It's like a ping pong table, except instead of being flat, it's actually a little bit bent. And you uh, head the soccer ball over the net. <laughs> it's great. It's really good. And you're, you, I remember you would come to my kids' games. And you would always tell them. That wasn't me. That wasn't me, David. Well, somebody looking like you would come. I, that could be. I'm a role model, but it wasn't me. Somebody was telling my kids to head the ball. And I kept saying, this is baseball, not soccer. Why are you telling oh, my yeah, kid? Oh, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. That would, that would be bad. Yeah. But you Even think in it, soccer can be a little. Yeah. You know, some problems sometimes. You know. Yeah. That's World Cup. This World Cup, the games were unbelievable. Yeah. You can lose yourself. Do you, do you do you remember playing the game at that level? You, or you still do? You're still playing it at that? I'm banned from the World Cup, but yeah. What'd you do? My bone structure is too solid. And if another player were to kick me in the leg, their foot could die. So <laughs> the governing body of world football banned me. Much to the dismay of tearful fans around the world. So you can't play professional soccer because you're just too good. I'm banned. What about mixed martial arts? I don't respect it. 
You don't respect mixed martial arts? No, that's why they mix it up, because they're not any good at one particular <laughs> They have to mix it up to give the illusion that they have some kind of competency. Boxing? Do you, do you... Also banned. Also banned. You're banned from boxing because the gloves aren't soft enough to protect the fists from your face? No, it's not that. I, I really don't want to get into it. But um, I think my boxing record is 68-0 and 0, um, with uh, 250 knockouts. So 250 knockouts in 68 bouts. Yeah. So who else are you knocking out? Sometimes I'll knock out the opponent and they'll ricochet into other people. <laughs> it's too dangerous, David. I don't want to get into it. I would like to switch subjects. All right. I, I did see you box, and you, you knocked out your opponent, and then you punched the ref and a couple of uh, people in the crowd. Mm -hmm. That's a lot the of judges. Knock. The judges. The, the judges, yeah. I'm like, why are you three judging us? Why can't you just enjoy the fight like everyone else here? Yeah. You got to be judging us. Yeah. Not cool. Biden, you think he's doing a good job? You know, I... Um, you think he, you think has he, the president done a good job recently um, of this country? Yeah, um, I think he's doing a great job. You know, um, increasing the profit margins for Raytheon. I, I, I think that's been good. Um, they make you know, bombs, uh, right? I think he's done a good job in in uh, getting people to pretend the uh, pandemic's over. Uh, he, he's been good there. Um, so that's good, right? He's given yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to you got to protect the uh, you got to protect the economy and the profit margins of uh, the medical and the military industrial complexes. So right. he's doing uh, that. I mean, that's what presidents are supposed to do. Now, Raytheon, refresh my memory. They make bombs and vaccines. What does Raytheon do? Raytheon is a uh, war weapons manufacturer. They make war weapons for war. They're, they're in the military industrial complex. The mil right. And they make bombs that w we, and that's good for the economy, I'm told. Apparently, that's what the president says. So if we destroy things, if we drop bombs on people, and that it, helps with COVID. It's basically, um, if we don't bomb other countries, how will our children learn geography? You know, that's what I'm trying to say, David. You, you have a point. But basically, it comes down to, you know, when everyone talks about gun control, we got to do something about gun control in this country. We never talk about what we're going to do about our gun control that we do outside our country. And war is, which... You know, America, that's basically our, our go-to, um, is uh, if we're not controlling our guns that we do outside the country, how do you expect us to control them inside the country? Well, don't you think we're, we're, con we're doing a better job not killing each other domestically because we're killing so many people overseas? Wouldn't we be killing more of our own if we weren't taking it out on other countries, Look, I'm a peace and love guy. David. I know that I'm a peace and love guy. So am I. Okay. But don't you think war is a, a permanent state in nature? 
Um, no, but I, I think since, you know, we make so much money through it, I, I think that's, you know, that's one of the, it's almost like a hack way to, uh, make money, you know? Yeah. It's I mean, tired. All these wars we have going on. Yeah. You know? It's a tired, you're saying it's trite, been there, yeah. done that, you know, right. You know they say Hollywood's out of original ideas. It's yeah. like. Look at our military, you know? I mean, some of these wars just seem like reboots of other ones. They don't really seem like a new, interesting, yeah. unique war. You know, World War One, like the, the same old storyline over and over again. Yeah, World War Two. they they're calling the next one. If, if he uses nukes and Ukraine will be World War Three. It's not, there, there's nothing original. Scary shit, scary shit. I'm anti-war, Dave. I'm not a pro-war guy like yourself. I'm no, not. I'm not pro-war. I, I just think... Uh, so you're saying you hate America? I'm not saying I hate America. Uh, so you're a terrorist? Yeah. I mean, but that... <laughs> but, you know, like, I do... I got ca- you. I finally got you, Damon. I'm a casual... The whole conversation was to finally get you to admit it, Damon. I do casual terrorism on the weekends. Oh. I, I, but not, I don't take it seriously. I don't, you know, I'm not consumed okay. by the terrorism. If, okay. if it works, it works. Uh, I'm a weekend terrorist. Okay. I, I'm anti-war. I, I do think uh, that we have to figure out a way to destroy COVID. And I... Yeah, I, you know, I, I've talked about that. You know, we're always, this country is always about... War, war. We're about killing shit, right? It's mm-hmm. like, all right, you had a perfect opportunity. Uh, uh, a new virus comes in to fucking kill it, and uh, everyone just pretends uh, there's not a problem anymore when there's still a fucking problem. Yeah. But if you if you look at it, if you look at the if you make the argument that the U.S. used to do wars to actually win the wars, and now a win in a war is just have the war go on forever yes. because then the profits just keep going. And then you look at the pandemic and you look at how corporations and billionaires have actually increased their profit margins. You're like, oh, maybe it should just kind of keep going. And, uh, you know, you kill off uh, a, you kill off a lot of uh, immunocompromised and seniors, and then you can uh, save money in those little bits of uh, public health that the country actually does do, and then they can save some money there. So, yeah, I think it's... So how do we get in on A lot of scary this? shit, and people have bought into uh, everything's fine. How do you and I get into that? Get into what? You know, creating, like, a chronic disease or condition that we never get out of, and we make money off of it. Yeah, I you're talking to the wrong guy, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that I don't know, man. Oh, so I'm the one who hates America. You're the one. That's what I said. Dude. But no, I'm being sarcastic. I'm saying, let's come up with a chronic condition that you can't get rid of and cash in on it. And you're saying I'm talking to the wrong guy. Like you're not interested in profiting off the suffering of others. And yet I'm I'm actually not. Yeah. That's why I don't fit into society. Well, you're not, you're certainly not fitting into my country. What are you doing in this country? If you don't want to profit, I I don't know where else to go. I don't know where to go. David. Well, 
why don't you get with the program and perpetuate the suffering of others? The program, huh? That's what you call it now. I, ca I call it patriotism. Okay. Should we rename America the program? The program, yeah. Yeah. Or should we rename America patriotism? The patriotic program. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Did it ever occur to you, and you are a guest on my show, and I, I didn't want to argue with you, you're a world champion at every sport. When you play soccer, when you were allowed to play soccer, mm -hmm. you got on the field and you played soccer. You didn't play ping pong. Correct. Well, you're in America. Play the game. The game is perpetuate the suffering of others for fun and profit. But I don't understand why you would, what, what you're doing in this country if you're not trying to profit off other people's David, suffering. Look, I listen to your show every week, and I always like when you close your show by reminding everyone to stay weak and protect the strong. Yes. That's, I live by that motto. Yeah, and, uh, and it serves you well. Thank as you. well as everyone else. Well, why would I think the I think too many people care too much about the weak and not enough about the strong. And you you've been a victim. You just you just got promoted. You just got promoted in the program for that sentence. As a world champion, mm -hmm. don't you feel No, my job as world champion is to be a champion of the world, which means fighting for the rights of the planet and all the inhabitants on the planet. That's what a world champion is. Okay. I think that's the algorithm talking. I think you're getting drunk on the algorithm. No way. No way. The algorithm is lying to you that it's actually about <laughs> sports, but it's actually about planetary, uh, animal, and plant life and air life and quality. Now, have you heard of this new thing, Judah? What? Uh, it, it's AI pornography. Have you heard of oh. this? Where they can take a picture of somebody who you're attracted to and create pornography using photographs and video of that person. And I guess it's been... It's, it's a new form of revenge porn that people are uploading. You see, this is why the pandemic is still going, because that's what they're working on. <laughs> this is why. Man, no, I had not heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Judah Friedlander, hmm. how do people contact you? I don't know. I guess they use different ways. Um but um, I, I don't know. I don't know what they usually do. If people want to come see you perform. Oh, the shows. Oh, you know what? I actually, on my website, I have a mailing list now where people can sign up and then find out about the shows. Okay, so go to... Also G on my Twitter or Instagram. <clears throat> so the website is my name, judahfriedlander.com. Friedlander is spelled like Friedlander. Mm -hmm. um, and Judah is J-U-D-A-H. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so there you can there's a mailing list you can sign up for and then you'll get a I don't know, maybe one or two a week just saying when the show is. That's and it's pay what says. you want, which is great. 
Yeah, it's a one dollar minimum. I the, the tickets are done through Eventbrite. Uh, I'm not very organized, so they do it, and and they have a one dollar. They make it a one dollar minimum Eventbrite. So I just so that so it's a one dollar minimum, but it's 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 basically pay what you want. So, and the, yeah, the shows are about two hours. Um, my Twitter and Instagram. That's pretty much the only social media I'm on. And there it's Judah World Champ. And uh, yeah, the shows the shows are good, you know. And I'm and I'm grateful for the audience because stand up comedy to me is a you know it's an it's an interactive art form. It's not a it's not it's not a monologue. It's it's a mixture of a monologue and a dialogue. The audience being part of the dialogue. Yeah, so right. so you have to have audience there. Otherwise, it's just a person talking. You know, so um, now what's interesting about these, I don't know if I think you might have to wrap up. I'm about to go into a long story. No, no, go ahead. I No, no. OK. No, I was saying what's interesting about these shows is that, you know, I do about two or three shows a week and I usually do on my shows. I usually do like a guest set on someone else's show where I might do like 30 minutes to an hour or something like that. Um, and then maybe sometimes on another one, maybe it's 10 minutes. But on my shows, I usually do at least 90 minutes. And I get, and I'm grateful for them, but I get a lot of repeat audience members. So now, before now, and, and I'm not doing shows at venues right now because I think it's, you know, I think there's still too much spread of, uh, of the pandemic going on. And I think at, at so many venues, it's likely too easy to get. And it, and if you do have it, and you and if you don't know you have it, it's too easy to spread. Right. And I don't want to be spreading it, uh, or getting it. Right. Or being in an environment where so many people might be getting it. So I'm I'm just doing shows, and since the government, in my opinion, has been a giant failure, like like uh, a long time ago there was a cholera outbreak, and after that happened. Um, what the governments did was, wow, we have to clean our water so people don't keep getting fucking sick from the diseased water. That's kind of where we are now, except it's with indoor air. Right. So like, like if you could act like, like some countries actually have it, there's only a couple where they have it standardized. Like there's no way right now to measure coronavirus in the air, but you can measure ventilation. Right. With a CO2 meter. Uh, when people exhale, when they breathe and they exhale, they emit CO2. So scientists, aerosol scientists know that outside air where there's no humans is always at 420 uh, particles per million. And when you are when there's human breath around, that number goes up and they know what a certain level is when you get to a certain number, how much uh, other air from other people's uh, that they just exhaled that you could be breathing in. Mm -hmm. So this little machine, it's like that big. And uh, if that was like publicly displayed in places and you go in, you can know what the ventilation is and you can have a much better idea of the safety of that. So that's something the government could easily be doing is, you know, making mandating just like, you know, when you go to like when you go to in, indoor businesses and workplaces and schools, if you actually had like publicly displayed what the air quality was in there, 
you'd have a, a pretty good indicator of how risky it was for any kind of disease transmission. You know what schools have those? The school where Ashish Jha and Rochelle Walensky's kids go. They have that. And the parents of those kids can actually see a live stream of what the air quality is in their class. Really? And she's yes. the head of the CDC, right? Yeah. And they do it for their kids' school, but not for everyone else's. And this is something that is, that is so simple. Like in a lot of places in Japan, and I think Belgium just passed a law where businesses have to publicly display uh, the CO2 readings. So you can have an idea if a place is well ventilated or not. Right. I mean, there's two ways to make indoor air better ventilation and then filtration right. using filters, HEPA filters or MERV 13 filters that actually cleans the air in a way that's not unhealthy. They're using new technology now with UV light, and that's like very, very new. But HEPA and MERV 13 have been around for decades and many businesses, you know, already had them. You know, hospitals have already had them. Airplanes have already had them. But it's like these things need to be done in more places and just opening a window, you know, like I see school buses going around. It's like if one window was open, even if it was just cracked open, mm -hmm. that's going to make the air quality so much better in there. And I'm people have a less chance of like so many people don't want to like 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 I mask. I, I wear an N95 anywhere I go. Right. But it's like that. That's what I'm doing. But um, if people don't want to wear a mask. Of course, I understand that. I don't want to wear a fucking mask, but I'm doing that because I think that's the appropriate thing for me to be doing. But if, but that's the other thing that that's the government again putting it on the individual. That's rugged individualism. That's pick yourself up by your bootstraps. They do nothing, and then the people, it's all on them. Because that that's I think the main thing people should be pushing for is indoor air quality, because the pandemic is mostly spread indoors in poorly ventilated places. And like, you know, I walk around the city and I see all these stores, windows closed, doors mm -hmm. closed. If they just open that, the chances would be quite a bit lower, you know? And that's something that's so simple and in many cases free. And there's like no education on it practically. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. CDC has it buried on their website. The white house has it buried on their website, but it's like, get it out there. And then for businesses and schools and all kinds of places mandate certain air quality things where it's it's that way it's not put on the individual you know so I, I, this is fascinating that's a government failure of the pandemic well we went to uh, an event and i said we're getting out of here it was it was people walking around without masks on and the smell of human breath, no windows. It was out in Long Island. I said, I don't care. Uh, I'm leaving. And we left yeah. because of that. And I'm so glad you said that. I disagree with one part of that. And yeah. I'm not so sure it's the government's fault. Because if Joe Biden, and I'm not defending him, if he and the CDC mandated that, the pushback from people like DeSantis and the Republicans and the Chamber of Commerce, they they would be you can't get people to wear masks and it's the government demand. But, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not even saying you, you, the government can make things so much safer 
even if people don't wear masks again. I know, but the, but but what you're telling a restaurant to put these filters on, or or right, even, but, but but you know what else can do it? The the government can help those things get paid for. You know, right? Like De Blasio, when De Blasio was mayor, they spent over forty million dollars for uh, air purifiers, air filtration for for schools. They bought the wrong kind. They bought the kind that has technology that is not recommended by any aerosol scientist or by the CDC. There's just so much corruption. It was his brother-in-law, though. I'm making that up. But, yeah, I uh, don't know. But it was, yeah. they, they, they had some kind of connection, I think. But, um, you know, so See, I there's, think there's th just a lot the government, you know, there's just massive uh, government, you know, corruption. Right. So I just want to push back and say it's not oh, yeah. it's not government corruption. It's government that has been co-opted by corporate America that won't allow the government to spend money on these things or. Uh, yeah, I, demand. I, I don't disagree with you. I, you know, the government works for the corporations for the most part. You know, they, they work right. for them a hell of a lot more than they do the people. So, right. Um, you, you, you know, so, the, so yeah. yeah. It's the Chamber of Congress. But that's what people need to fight for. People need to fight for, you know, like, like I, you know, I, I actually carry around a CO2 meter with me because I, I, I actually like learning and seeing what. It's where, now, where do you get a CO2? I, like, I don't know anything about this. So where would you? Right. Get and this is something everyone should know. Everyone should know it. And that's a failure of public health in the country. That's what I'm saying. Everyone should know what a CO2 meter is. How much does it cost? There's a bunch of different kinds. Um, the good one is expensive. It's about $225. How much? $225. So like a it's about this big. It's about this big, so you can carry it with you. It, it runs on two AA batteries that last for like over two years. It never shuts off, and all you have to do is look at it, and it shows you a number, and... That, that then that number will give you an idea of what the ventilation is and thus like how many how much uh rebreathed air you're breathing in everyone should know that's something that that's a failure of government that people don't know that that that's out there yeah and in places like japan when you go to a movie theater it actually publicly displays what the ventilation is with with the co2 meter yeah wow yeah, I'm going to get it's one. A it's a simple thing that, you know, because, you know, they say, oh, well, make sure the place you know, watch out for those poorly ventilated places. How do people know a place is poorly ventilated? Right. Now, this it's is surprising. on your mer it's this surprising. Is like I'll like the New York City subway, New York City subway, the platforms. Yeah. Generally pretty well ventilated. I would think so. Yeah. On the train. It really varies a lot. It really varies a lot. It's actually if the train's not that crowded, it's often. It's often quite a bit better ventilated than you think. Yeah. Right. People should go to judahfriedlander.com, hit the merch page, and Judah is selling COT, CO2 uh, meters. I don't even know how to say it. No, I'm not selling CO2 meters. I don't sell anything on my website. Wait, wait a second. You, you mean to tell me you come on my show and yeah, you're I'm talking not about anything? You're not going to give the, the affiliate link? That you cash in on when the, um, to learn more about it, you can go to let me. I got to look it up. I think it's cleanaircrew.org, and and the 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 one that's the best one is it's a Aeronet Four Home. That's the name of it. Aeronet 
A-R-A-N-E-T, the number four, and then home. Yeah, I think Naltic is the company that makes it. I'm just confused. Uh, I've never met anybody who would come on my show and plug something that they're not cashing in on. I have nothing to do with them, and I I wish they weren't so expensive. Okay, But but it could be an effective tool, yeah. Okay, I'm just, I, I... I'm a little confused by this. I don't understand your motive. Trader Joe's on the Lower East Side, badly ventilated, badly ventilated. And they're not union. Key food, key food uh, that I've been to. Well ventilated. Key really food? Priced, but well ventilated. Yeah. You should do like a ventilation report. I, I have on Twitter, I've posted some of it. On the subway, I've posted it some. And uh, yeah, I'll get back to doing that more. But that's like something so simple. That would be like, like you, so you can actually take this thing. You can go, let's say you want to go to a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Or you want to go to the, go to a movie and uh, uh, you, you want to measure the ventilation, make sure it's, you know, a well-ventilated place. You can actually go in there, wait a couple minutes, look at your CO2 meter and be like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Not that bad, you know, or you can be like, wow, that is fucking hugely high. I am, you know. 20% of the times I'm breathing, I'm breathing in someone else's breath. Maybe maybe I'll skip this. That would be like after the cholera outbreak. They never clean the water. And if you ever wanted to go to a restaurant, you would go in there, uh, sneak into the bathroom or kitchen, uh, pull out a little bit of water, and then put a, uh, a cholera tester in the water to see if it's safe. They'd be like, okay, we can eat here. You know, it's mm-hmm. like just fucking, it's something that could be done. It's just, you know, Ventilate and filtrate indoor air at places. And all the people who fucking hate masks and shit uh, will have a less chance of getting sick. Yeah. This is something. To me, that seems like something, no matter where you stand on the spectrum of public health and the pandemic, you know, whether you're someone who doesn't, who is against all the vaccines or who's against all the masks, or who you're for all the vaccines and for all the masks. Uh, I think everyone can, should be able to agree that, hey, let's, not, let's have uh, indoor air where there's less disease floating around, I would think. But who knows? Maybe a lot of people would want a lot of disease floating around. I don't know. Fascinating. Comedy Another cl- simple one for airplanes, yeah. right? Yeah. Airplanes are always bragging about, oh, our air is the best and everything. Now, you know, with our ventilation and our filtration, right? Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're this far away from someone, it's not going to do that much. Another thing, though, that they don't do is during the boarding process and the deplaning process, which is often a long period of time, they don't have their air ventilation or filtration on. It's like, so put that shit on the whole time, and you're going to, at least theoretically... Spread less disease. Yeah. It's but not too just cheap to do that. Yeah, it's yeah. but it's not just America, is it? It's no, no. I think I think Europe's worse than us. Yeah, I think, I w- I'm I, I think the wealth, the wealthier the country, uh, the more arrogant that uh, we're above this. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I always thought we yeah. were the dumbest the ar- country. The, the arrogance, the arrogance of. Uh, uh, of of the wealthy countries is oh we're we're wealthy we're we have the we're we're perfect we don't we don't need to do that shit yeah 
Interesting. Yeah, Europe has a lot less masking than the U.S. Yeah. Interesting. Like, it's like Florida everywhere there. <laughs> you know, people shit on Florida a lot. And Florida deserves a lot of criticism, yeah. but also I, I think it gets over-criticized as well, you know. I, I think I think America often scapegoats Florida for how shitty it is, you know. Yeah, because there's also Arizona, and 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 also New York. You see it, you know. You see, I mean, you know. But you know, I can go on and on about the pandemic stuff. But New York is different. But anyway, um, let me no, ask I you. I think the masking is terrible in New York. It's you know, unbelievable. The is good in New York, in lower income immigrant neighborhoods. That's right. where the masking is better. You go to your wealthy white uh, Whole Foods neighborhoods, you'll, you'll, you'll never see a more proud anti-masker than a wealthy person at Whole Foods. Right. They love to show off their face. They love it. Yeah. Well, they like, paid for they're, it. They're, they're not going to stoop to the mask wearing. That's for their help. They don't do that. Right. You know? There's a lot, of, a lot of classism involved and narcissism with that stuff, I think. But that's me. That's my thing. No, I, 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 this is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, before you go, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. The the uh, the eventual return to nightclubs. What do you think? I'm working on it. You know, I, I and I realize, you know, I'm in a great minority of someone who, you know, because before the pandemic, I'm probably I would probably be put in the category of someone who is out doing shows more than just about anybody. You know, I'm someone who is out you know, often seven nights a week, you know, if I'm in the city, you know, two to five spots a night. And if I'm touring, you know, basically a show every night, you know, so, um, and then to go to like nothing and then just doing, um, so, so instead, oh, this is what I forgot to talk about earlier. If I can continue. Yes, this. please. Um, so like one of the great things about New York, why it can be so good for a comedian to be in New York is the amount of stage time that is possible. Um, if you really hustle, you can get on stage two to five times a night, right? That means if you have a new joke you're working on, you can work on it, tweak on it, grow it two to five times a night, right. which is great. You know, and for someone like me who does a lot of writing on stage, you know, um, and by that I mean, you know, you go up with a new joke and then the next show... You, you go up and do it again, and then a new idea pops into your head from what you did last time or the situation you're in, and you come up with another one, and you just keep, you keep building it, right? So that's something with the pandemic because I'm doing shows on the Internet, and, you know, I don't have that big of an of a audience following that, you know, coming to the shows. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for the audience that comes, but there's a lot, you know, if my shows, I'd say maybe – if 80%, 90% of the audience saw me last week and the week before that, I have to come up with a right. lot of new material. Right. So so it's like, so I'm coming up with more material probably than pre-pandemic, but I'm not tweaking it nearly as much and not growing it as much. So where before I was coming up with less jokes, but those jokes were were honed to uh, in, in much more depth than, than I what see. I'm doing now. So that's probably on, on a on a art and work point of it. That's probably what I miss the most with that um, is is not having that opportunity to really, uh, really, re really, really get in, you know, really get in with all your stuff and really 
grow it, you know, and build it, you know. Let me, you don't have to answer this question, yeah. but I've had this conversation with a lot of comedians. Do you think the audience, especially a club audience, gets in the way of good comedy? Do you think working the clubs, because I started in San Francisco and we were what told, year? What year? Uh, 83, 84. Okay. Okay. And we were told in San Francisco, they had gatekeepers back then. In order to get on stage, you had a, you couldn't be dirty. You couldn't be racist. You couldn't be sexist. You had to be, this was San Francisco. Yeah. They were very, when I started in, in New York, it was that way at first. Yeah. Very and strict. A lot of that's changed. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are no more gatekeepers. No, no, I think there's still tons of gatekeepers. The, the gatekeeping style has changed, you know, or the, the their their criteria has changed. But but there's still plenty of gatekeepers, I think. Right. The, the, one of the great gatekeepers of San Francisco, Tom Sawyer, who ran Cobbs. And he used to say, do not work the road. You pick up bad habits. You're going to go out on the I road. First in, Late 80s, early 90s in New York, they would say the same thing. They, were, they really shit on the road comics, and they, they don't anymore. They but don't. They really used to. And everyone was like, you got to get that tight five clean so you can get on The Tonight Show. That was basically, that was like the general thread in the clubs. Yeah. And so when you decide to make money and you go on the road, you're... As you say, you're writing with the audience. Well, if you're playing a generic comedy club uh, out on the road and you're writing with a generic audience, you're going to write generic material. Do you think you might get a pure form of comedy by doing it the way you're doing it now? Where it doesn't Sometimes, need to. Sometimes uh, you can make that argument. And in some cases, um, there can be some of that. Um, uh, I also think like even before the pandemic, you know, I stopped using an agent or a manager. I hadn't, haven't used one for years. I booked myself and I would, you know, probably 90, more than 95% of the time not do comedy clubs. And so I do, you know, other venues and, you know, and it was, uh, you know, music venues, um, and some of them were music venues that would sometimes have comedy and stuff like that, uh, sometimes small theaters. But when I would do those, I'm not into that marketing infrastructure that the comedy clubs have. So the only people coming to me just to see my shows are people who are actually, they see that I'm coming to their town and they want to go to that show in particular. Right. Where right. if I'm booked at a comedy club, no matter how big of a following I might have, I'd say at least 30% of the audience, probably 20, 30% of the audience is they don't know who they're seeing that night. They're, right. they're just somehow they're going to the comedy club that weekend. You, you know what I mean? So, um, uh, now that being said, um, all I, I, I truly think bad habits can be picked up everywhere. I don't think bad, bad habits are picked up just at comedy clubs. I think at your cool hipster, mm -hmm. you know, alternative spaces, I don't know, you know, whatever they want to call them, you know, what venues I'm talking about. Very bad habits. I agree. There, so. 
you know, different bad habits, but still bad habits. You know, you can pick up when an audience is, and even if like, if you're a touring comic and a hundred percent of the people coming there are just coming to see you and they're great, even that you can pick up bad habits because all of a sudden you don't have hecklers. Everyone's, you know, you might do an audience where everyone's, Ooh, everyone's just eating up everything you're saying. You can pick up a lot of bad habits with a good crowd, you know? So I think it's important as a comic I've, to actually do shitty gigs and good gigs. Yeah. The, I've never been famous. You have. So what are the bad habits you pick up uh, when people you know, are? I, I, and you, but you can do it. It's, uh, I don't think fame necessarily has anything to do with it. You know, there's some of these rooms, you know, like, you know, that get more of like a, an NPR-ish type crowd, right. for lack of right. a better term. The, the hipster, the, the cool rooms, you, right. you know. White people. Um, you know, those crowds, the audiences are often one demographic. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, like they all read the same uh, blogs. They, they all drink the same uh, kind of coffee or beer or whatever. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a conformity. Uh, it's, a, it's its own type of conformity. Right. So everyone is sometimes at those shows, everyone's going there and they're like, they all know, oh, we're so cool because we're here. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to hear a comic who's, who's also, you know, I don't know if there's comedy going on. It's basically a comic and an audience both just confirming that they're all cool. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that seems to be the, the, the general theme of the fucking show. You know, you know, it's like, okay, I guess everyone's just sucking each other off. And that's what this is. Just a fucking little narcissism festival. Uh-huh. You know? So, so you can certainly pick up a lot of bad habits there. Right. Because if you just go up there and everyone's like, oh, this is, I heard this person's cool and we're supposed to like them. Right. And then they go on stage and they're like, yeah, I'm the cool guy and you guys are cool and you're supposed to like me. And then how the fuck are you going to be a good comic doing that shit in right. that kind of an environment? You know what I mean? It's like, right. um, so whereas in, so, so, I mean, you can make the argument that like, so it really depends how you handle it, you know? So if you're doing a shit room or, you know, a, a room where, wow, this crowd really likes, they, they really want to hear the same old tired, bigoted jokes or whatever. If you can go in there with stuff that's not the stuff that they're looking for and figure out a way to make them laugh, exactly, you can become a really good fucking comic that right. way. So, right. So, it, so I, what I'm saying is, so you have to always be careful of bad habits, you know, and like you know, doing the doing shows online sometimes, you know, there can be less, you know, problematic audience members. It can still happen sometimes, but sometimes there might be less problematic audience members, or if you're a comic who is a well-known or has a draw and you're just getting people who, who, who like they heard you're there and they want to go see you. Sometimes there's less problems that way. So you can get a little soft as a comic where you, you, you're only going to do well if you got a really good hot crowd, you know, and that doesn't make you a better comic. What it does do those kind of rooms is because you're not getting interrupted constantly by hecklers or whatever, the audience is more patient. So if you have something a bit that might be a great bit, but it requires a longer attention span. That audience can be great and really help you develop you know, mm-hmm. maybe some more intricate or subtle or longer types of bits. We're at a comedy club that has a very short attention span, whether they're drunk or, or, or whatever, you know, you gotta, you gotta hit them like that hard, but that's a good skill to have too. So I, I, I think it's important to really do right. 
really a big a big variety as big a variety of you can of shows and rooms as you can i agree with you i agree with you uh in san francisco there were and then we'll wrap it up this is fantastic in san francisco there were the holy there was the holy city zoo all oh, right i heard of that i never did that which before. is like the Velveeta room in austin it, it, it's like a, a closet where everybody's on top of each other. The CO2 okay. meters are off. Those are like the best rooms for comedy and the and the worst for the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. And great for comedy, but hard rooms because. Oh, OK. okay. They, they weren't easy. And then there was another club called the Other Cafe in The Hate, which. Oh, I don't know that one. The, and it was a very genteel mm-hmm. kind of uh, comedy that was the antithesis of the Holy City Zoo. And when I was starting out, there were two types of comics. There was the, a Holy City Zoo comic and an other cafe comic. And both were great, but the the Holy City Zoo comics were rock'em sock'em robots. I mean, <laughs> you would go and we, you know, I was a Holy City Zoo comic and you could put us in any situation. We wanted to go into the worst situations. Right. And do or that's, comedy. It's called legs, having legs or yeah. whatever. Or, yeah. 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 And uh, there was a point uh, later in my career when I was making enough money as a comedy writer where I could turn down gigs, but I wouldn't do it. I would play these casinos in like Palm Springs. Like I would leave a writing job at seven o'clock and I would pick up one of my kids. I go, you want to watch daddy die? And they go, sure. I would drive down to Palm Springs for little to no money, go into a casino. And you could hear sure. the nickels falling into yep. the tree. Yeah. And, and people would say, why are you doing this? And let's say they were paying me $50. I can't remember. Right, right, right. Plus gas and a meal. Right. And I, and I would say... If somebody said to you, drive down, I want you to drive to Palm Springs tonight and pick up some money, there's $50 in an envelope and we'll feed you and pay for your gas. Would you do it? I would. Yeah. If I could listen to some music, go for a drive. and I do comedy for free and I still often still do it for free. Right. And uh, I do someone else's show every Monday night. I do about an hour. That's right. I get no money for that. And uh, yeah. Anyway, great conversation. Uh, Judah Friedlander, go to. Well, Ju- we almost had we had like two different conversations. I know. I and I picked up on it. I could I I could read. You were done. You didn't want to do the fake conversation. You had well, it's not fake. It's just you know it, it was something else. It's right. You know, we're doing yeah. It was, was great. That, that was like a basically a you know a satirical conversation you know right. of, of of some level <laughs> right we were out stupiding each other yeah and then i could you know, tell just, you wanted to get serious right, right. i love stupid conversations well, well they're both they're both different they're both good yeah you know, they or can be good or bad you know but um out stupiding the greatest conversation of two people out stupiding each other that i've ever heard robert smigel uh, Brian Rich, who just passed away, and Andy Breckman, who created Monk. Uh, we were driving to the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia in 2016. Smigel and I were in the front, 
and Andy Brackman. Was this for uh, like the Triumph? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. And Andy Brackman and Brian Rich. Brian Rich came up with uh, the masturbating bear on Conan. We just lost him. I mean, just the funniest. I I, I, I saw part of your show where you guys were doing a tribute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Brian, uh, I never like to mention that somebody went to Harvard because I don't like Harvard graduates. But Brian, like you met him. And you go, oh, of course, this guy's a hard. I mean, the guy was just, of course, you know, this guy got into Harvard when he was two, just a genius. And Andy Breckman, and they would out stupid one another. They would just start talking. And f- from New York to Philadelphia, the two of them had the dumbest conversation. Like Smigel and I just listened for four hours. And I, th- I couldn't believe how. They were able to get right. dumber and dumber and dumber and just stick with it. And uh, Conan said something really brilliant on his last show. Uh, O'Brien? For, uh, yeah, for TBS. Uh, <laughs> O'Brien? No, the Barbarian. Uh, <laughs> he said, I don't know much. I'm, I'm, I'm ruining it, but something to the effect... I don't know much, but I do know that if you take really smart, find the smartest people in the world and make them act stupid, that's the secret to comedy. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I love that. I don't know. But I mean, I, I wasn't trying to out stupid you or anything. I was just. Uh, <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> no, I was just, you know, just doing, you know, r- r- some, you know, trying to do some ridiculous satire stuff and then. You kept throwing all this. Hey, I got deep. I got. Stuff. Yeah. I got a, a platform pulled. One of my podcasts because AI can't pick up on sarcasm. I got. Uh, oh, I be- I can see that. Yeah, I was I mean, in my stand-up back. If you take so many things I say word for word, it's like, wow, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was like you know. it almost made me happy. Yeah, why? Because I was they they said I was a. a a COVID uh, denier. Denier, right, right, right. Because I was sarcastically agreeing. Right, right, yeah. And I went, that wow. It's so scary. That, that's why the whole AI shit is really, it's, it's scary shit. Well, that's what we said about the buggy whip, remember? Right. But then again, look at how many humans uh, and humans who've been in positions of censorship who don't get sarcasm. I know. <laughs> or don't want to get sarcasm or right. don't want sarcasm out there or satire out there. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of sarcasm, but sometimes it's the only way to get through to people. Anyway, judahfriedlander.com. Thank you, buddy. Please Thanks, come man. back. Be well. You too. Uh, yeah, you got it. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Time now for the Hershenfelds. Doctor- Hi, David. Hello, Dr. Hershenfeld. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a real, live Freudian psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, the real, real thing. And Ethan Hershenfeld is not a real psychiatrist. That's why I go to him instead. I go to Dr. Samuel Benjamin, his alter ego. Ethan is the author of the hysterical Today Is Now, which you can purchase this is the only book we allow you to purchase on, I won't say the name. What is the name? Amazon. 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 You get a special yeah. dispensation. You can go to Amazon 
because that's the only place to buy Today Is Now by your alter ego, Dr. Samuel Benjamin. And we'll talk about IntraQuest, your new podcast that you're doing with my friend, Mikey Kaplan, brilliant yes. comedian. And, but, yes. And good news. The Today Is Now mockumentary is finishing up quite soon. I've been able to show it to some, some select viewers like Dr. Philip Hershenfeld. No. It's outrageous. It's outrageously good. Now, it's outrageous. It's an outrage. Have you ever been critical of your son, Dr. Hershenfeld? Have you ever said, I don't think that's funny? I don't think... like when He did once. I remember once when he really lost it in the 80s. What happened? Well, we all lost it in the 80s, but what, what happened? Um, a sibling of mine was refusing to fill out his... Uh, his draft card and just being kind of vaguely uh, revolutionary saying, no, I'm not going to you know, sign my name on that document. And, and then finally my father convinced him that he had to, or he'd get into big trouble. And, and right as he was putting pen to paper, I walked by and I said, wow, you're caving. <laughs> So he said, yeah, you're right. And then he walked out of the room huh? <laughs> and the doctor was rip shit angry. Can we say rip shit? No. Sure. He was, yeah. 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 He gritted his teeth and he said, I'm really pissed. Now, what if it were in the 60s, Dr. Hershenfeld? And it was the Vietnam yeah. War. I would have said right on. Right <laughs> yeah. A different time. These are, these are some of the things, speaking of the Vietnam War, these are some of the things I want to ask you about. Group violence. We saw, I don't want to get into specifics, but we saw the cops in Memphis, the video. I didn't watch it. Me uh, neither. Yeah. Group, I didn't watch either, but group, I have to say group violence, the one thing that's better about it is you don't get lonely. <laughs> Unless you're the victim. Well, but if you still you have company, if you're, doing so, if you're doing solo violence, it can just, it, you know, it's just you and the hammer and, and the victim. Uh -huh. yeah. That's nice so you're saying you're saying Paul. One of the reasons Paul Pelosi healed so quickly was he was he wasn't alone at the time. It's good. It's good to have company. That's all. <laughs> Sometimes it's tough because when after the company leaves, you got to do the dishes. But company in general is a good thing. Do we need to see there, the there, there's a certain amount of truth to what my naive colleague is saying? <laughs> Freud wrote a brilliant paper that I would recommend to everybody on group psychology. Well, listen, before you go on, he, the doctor says it was brilliant. He got a B minus on it. <laughs> <laughs> Who? The, the, the Freud? He got a B minus? Okay. It was a good paper. It was not a great. Okay, but go on. In which he said that you take a bunch of individual people by themselves, and if you ask them each individually, would you hang this guy on a tree? They would say, no, are you crazy? It's immoral or whatever. You put them together in a group and their individual conscience disappears and it, it gets subsumed into a group conscience. 
And then these 10 guys, upstanding citizens, can turn into a lynch mob because nobody feels any kind of personal responsibility. The group is doing this. It's true. And it's also why it's much safer in the cities because we have way fewer trees. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that's why a lot. We won't go there, but uh... also shrubbery, (laughs) very low to the ground. I we I and, uh, yeah. during another time Agreed. I would have yeah. we'll move on, but I see where you're going. Group psychology. So when you watch a football game, when you see the Eagles playing and the crowd going nuts, that c- could be a lynching or a pogrom waiting to happen. You pronounce if it went in the right direction. Yeah, those people. I watched. Philadelphia celebrating with the right direction, the wrong leadership, those people could be, it's like the mighty Colorado. You could just redirect it towards Jews, blacks, or Mexicans or Arabs, right? There's no water in the Colorado anymore. True. 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 Yeah. But, but look at soccer violence. It's the same thing. Any one of those, Criminals individually might be a very nice guy. And so is football in this country necessary to let off the steam so we don't all explode? Is that the purpose of professional sports to give people somebody to hate without it? I think the the actual purpose is to sell chicken fingers. (laughs) (laughs) It seems mostly to sell fried food. It's, it's, It's mostly to sell various forms of meat and alcohol. So that's most of what it's there for. And cars. And the danger is what? Because you want to surrender your ego to something bigger than yourself. Yes. And then and the big danger is that you'll notice if you ever observe one of these games, the people on the field have all sorts of padding and helmets on them. Mm-hmm. But the people in the stands who are also getting into violent confrontations, they have no padding. So they're the real heroes. Well, they're, it's more it's more dangerous, I would say, to yeah. be a fan of these things than to be because those guys are at least protected and they're getting paid. The fans are paying and have no padding <laughs> and they're drinking. It's just it's a trifecta. It's really like a sacrificial. It's like being an Aztec virgin going into one of those things. I, I I haven't been to one in many years. If you go to a Springsteen concert or you go see Bono, it becomes a cathedral and you give up yourself to the 50,000 people in the stadium and you all become one. And it's supposed to be. I can't experience that. No, I, I went to a Springsteen concert once. Friend had tickets. I bought the pair off of him, went with a friend and we left after two songs because it turns out if you go to see Springsteen in giant stadium, all of New Jersey is singing along with every single song and he's encouraging it. So basically I spent 150 bucks to listen to a bunch of people from Passaic um, yelling his lyrics. It was so obnoxious. Uh, Out of there. Wow. That, That would, yes, I don't see, I don't get the live 
maybe it's because I spent so many years in a comedy club that when I go to a Broadway play, it really takes a lot for me to lose myself in live theater. A movie, I can lose myself in a movie, but if I'm surrounded by other people. So hard. Although I did have the experience recently, a couple of Sunday nights ago, I went to the final performance of The Old Man in the Swimming Pool, Mike Birbiglia, mm. in Lincoln Center. It was a, a monologue, hour and a half. Just great. I'd never seen him live before. It was fantastic. He's amazing. So, even though there was some people with their milk duds doing that really loud. Right. And instead of just scarfing it down at the beginning, they, they, they've they calculated how to make it last. <laughs> the entire show. And then they're going to reach very loudly. <laughs> back. And they think they're being surreptitious, but they're annoying everyone. Right. In a, or maybe it's just me, but I think it's everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Some people are easier. It's easier for some people to completely lose themselves in the theater yeah. or in, in a play. So the cops beating up a joint effort, collaborating to kill somebody. Is it a, is it bonding? Are they bonding or is it a sign of we're in this together? Is they're not operating as individuals. I would guess that not one of those guys would have done that one-on-one. -on -one. Could be wrong, but that's what I think. Well, in, in, in no small measure, because he would not have been physically able to. It's much harder to beat someone to death on your own. Right. Um, so there's that element of it. But I don't know that they're I don't know that they're bonding. What I think is happening, and I don't know, but it seems to me like what's happening is they're just losing their there's well, I guess it's what you said, doctor. It's losing that feeling of individual responsibility. Right. The 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 gloves come off is you know, I guess literally yeah. metaphorically. Um I guess there's also a good possibility that each of these guys individually, or at least some of them, or I know for sure one of them was a was a had, was convicted of something in the past. So he, there was at least one criminal among those cops. Yeah. So I think probably in a small group of people, it really takes one ringleader to right. then get everybody going, and then yeah. uh, here's let's something. Go it, guys. Yeah. Something I've seen at work, and uh, let's just leave it at work. I have seen employees, people at work who are about to get fired and they have a stink on them. And everyone can tell this person is about to get fired. They're, and there's this, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's see if this guy can make it through the week. And I watch as they they kind of poke at the, the guy and I say, hey, leave me alone. No, and they the group wants to see this one person ostracized. It makes them what what's going on? Because I, I even noticed that as, when I would work on shows and somebody was about to get fired. I would secretly I'd, I'd say out loud, I feel sorry for the guy, but deep down, I was 
Looking forward to going. It's the it's a psychological uh, version of musical chairs, where there's a there's a feeling of every man for himself or every person for himself. So if you sense that there's a weak one in the group, you're sort of uh, doing your little part to step on them and make sure that you don't you don't lose your spot. Here's an opportunity maybe to to put somebody down who's a potential threat to you. And you don't want to be associated with them. Right. You want you. There's a stink on that person and nobody wants to be seen talking to them. I see that like in comedy clubs where comedians are waiting to go on. And there's this dynamic of who's talking to whom. And uh, you don't want to be around somebody who has a stink on them. Uh, Especially, especially when someone like you has a very weak character. <laughs> uh, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. so it was meant as a compliment. Thank you. It's, it's, You're I'll take that as a... Uh, there, I've been in situations where they're a, in a writing room, which can be off... God, that's a beautiful dog. Uh, Isn't that? That is just a spectacular... Waiting for you to notice. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. My favorite dog. He likes to he likes to sit up like a human. Yeah, his big trick. So I've been in writing rooms where a writer was really annoying. He didn't play nicely, and then he would leave the room, and then everybody would crap on him. And we got to get rid of him. We got to get rid of this. He's 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 so annoying. He's so annoying. And I would say. Wait a second. We get rid of him. Who's next? Because mm-hmm. there's got to be somebody in this room that we all hate. And uh, and I don't want it to be me because I've been that writer who everybody hates. It, can a group exist? Can a family, can a large family exist without everybody complaining about a sister-in-law or an aunt or a nephew that that is always the subject of worrying or complaining. And I think if you I think if you're the person who thinks that that's possible, then you're that person. <laughs> so it's, it's very dangerous to say, yeah, there are lots of families. I mean, my family, there's no one like that. In my family, there's no one who, when he leaves the room, everyone says, man, that guy's a pain in the ass. He's so critical. What a, I mean, he's kind of a dick. If he wasn't in the family, we wouldn't invite him. There's definitely no one like that in my family. <laughs> I've noticed that when you get uh, groups of comedy writers together or large families together, instead of talking about a great play or movie or book, there's one. If we could just get rid of this one relative or this one comedy writer, then all would be well in the world. Part of that is the phenomenon of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So we all bond over making that person an enemy. We, and yet we can't bond over loving the same well, woman. Maybe you can, but, but I think this is easier to do it this way. 
Yeah, so, it's like that phenomenon of in any institution, everyone complaining about the cafeteria food. It so very uplifting and create an esprit du corps just by talking about how bad that. Is it easier for you and me to bond over someone we hate than someone we love? I hate is a very strong word. I would say maybe it's, it's, it's easy and fun to bond over someone who you can make fun of. But if you and I shared, if Ethan and I shared a love for the same human being, a lust for the same human being, then we would be at odds. But if we that both... That leads to competition. Or a threesome. <laughs> Has there ever been a successful threesome? Is, is it possible? I won't ask the real doctor. Is it possible to have a menage a trois where everybody wraps up and says, that went well, that was equal, the love was evenly distributed, nobody felt left out? It is. I think the difficulty of that situation is highly overrated. The key is, it's very simple. There's a very simple rule to remember in this. If you're exploring this, if, you've, if, if you're curious about it, if you have a partner you're talking about it with, the key is that any of those arrangements are possible and and go very well if you stick to the prime numbers. So a threesome works, a five-some works, a seven-some works. But if you go non, an eleven-some, if you try to do a non-prime menage, it's a disaster. Because they, then you you end up in all sorts of, because you wow. divide by two, then you're, everyone's pairing off. Wow. You know it's like a medieval dance. <laughs> so keep it prime. Even a one-some, you'll notice one is also prime. It works just fine. More, many people have more experience with a onesome than a <laughs> The numbers are outlandish. It's like thousands of times more popular than onesome. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. Uh, wow. All right. Remember the prime numbers and you're good to go. Oh, my God. Tell me about IntraQuest. IntraQuest. <laughs> now, the key thing is it's on iHeartRadio. Right. IntraQuest. And the other key thing is it's two words. It's not IntraQuest. It's IntraQuest. Mm -hmm. And it stars some really excellent comedians, including Michael Broussard. You can see his special on Netflix. And MYQ Kaplan. I say right. MYQ. You pronounce it Mickey. Is that right? Mikey. Mikey. Mikey Kaplan. MYQ Kaplan, who's a hilarious comedian. Yeah. I was on a, a show with him in November. He's incredible. He's incredible. It, all, it also stars um, uh, Mike... Leibovitz. Uh, I did a show with him at Zany's a number of years ago out in outside of Chicago. He's just great. Um, and it's a if you're into like fantasy, adventure, sci-fi, drama, radio drama, kookiness, intergalactic Michigas, this mm. is the show for you. Um, By yeah, the way, that was the that was the original name of the Andromeda strain. <laughs> Intergalactic Michigas. The name of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and the studio said, you know, Spielberg. Um, oh, it's probably not Spielberg. It's the other guy. Lucas, yeah. Close Encounters. That's what it was. Oh, Close right. Uh, let's do that again. <laughs> the original name of Close Encounters was Intergalactic Michigas. Yeah. And the studio says, look, Mr. Spielberg, we really think you have a great ear for this stuff. But the title is a little, we need to, to gen, 
gentilize your title yes. a little bit. Well, this um, sounds great. So it's called IntraQuest. IntraQuest on iHeartRadio. Uh, episode one dropped today. You can stream it all over the place. Um, have some paper towels on hand. For the streaming. For the streaming. No, it's streaming. Uh, you can get it on Apple. On what that, What's that called? Uh, Apple Podcasts. Right. iHeartRadio. It's everywhere. It's Intra everywhere. Quest. IntraQuest. Important. Remember, it's not inter. Quest. It's intra, which means within. Okay. Inter between. It's intra quest. Okay. Uh, listen to it. Enjoy it. All right. Live the lifestyle. Try right. to put on so, the costumes. So it's intra, not inter. And I wanted to ask you about interment, about death, if you don't mind, since this will be the last thing we talk about. Hopefully, not the last thing we ever talk about. I've been watching the Republicans take control of the House. Anything that will kill you, therefore, guns, tobacco, fossil fuel, violence, uh, red meat, whatever. What? Go ahead. They're not for abortion. If it involves something that isn't alive yet. And they are for resurrection. They're the party of the resurrection, which is eternal life. So. In the end, they might be for death from this incarnation, but they stand for and they stand by and they vote for eternal life through the resurrection. And is that what we don't understand about them, that they have a, maybe a more mature attitude towards death? No. I, no. <laughs> no. They're against universal health care. They're against doctors. They're against vaccines. For other people. <laughs> they're for death for other people, not for themselves. They're different from some Islamic groups who say about the West, they say this about Israel, we will win because you people love life and we love death. It, are, you quote, are, you, are you quoting something real or are you quoting a suicide oh, bomber oh, a suicide real. yeah something real and um see whenever i get challenged by a member of my family i tell them to google it and invariably at the end they say you're right right anyway this is another one I, and, I... gold of my ear said yeah. famously if only the whatever's loved uh, their children as much as they hate the Israelis. Yeah. Something like that. And well, I've watched some of those suicide videos from the early aughts. That's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. So they're, they're extremist maniacs. And also I, I just wouldn't. I used to direct a couple of suicide videos that they made. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. <clears throat> they were a gig is a gig. Yeah. And he had to do it in one take. But go ahead. So these are people who say like a kamikaze. How do you if, if somebody is willing to die, who, who how do you fight somebody who's willing to die? Right. I would simply say and then we don't need to get into this, but I would say that that's not that's definitely not unique to any one religion. I think there are extremists, murderous, maniacs 
of all stripes. There's a scene in Godfather 2 in Cuba where Michael sees one of Castro's soldiers uh, fall on a grenade. And he says to Hyman Roth, I think we're in trouble because if these people are if his soldiers are willing to jump on a grenade and die for the cause, how do we compete? Yeah. What were we talking about that? We were talking about Republicans. You're saying they they want death for others, but not themselves. But I disagree. Republicans, Yes, I, I disagree. I think. I see a lot of Republicans who don't take care of themselves. They lead unhealthy lifestyles. They well, but that's because they can't help it. They can't help being alcoholics or or pigs or anything like that. But I'll bet, I will bet, I don't know this for a fact, that many of the people who say that um, the pandemic was a hoax I'll bet you they all got vaccinated. Not all, but a lot of them. Let me ask the fake doctor, author of Today Is Now, Dr. Samuel Benjamin. Do you agree with the real doctor, Benjamin? Do you think Uh, they really got vaccinated? Or do you think that there's... Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Total hypocrites. It's all theater from these guys. I agree. I think most of what they say is just to get reelected. They're saying what they think their constituents want to hear. And then they go and they uh, do all the things that they imagine the coastal elites are doing. Um, They want to eat in fancy restaurants. They want to drive fancy cars. They want to um, go to top universities. They, they're probably secretly uh, uh, inter intersex transgender vegans secretly behind Behind closed doors. No, I don't know what they're up to. But if but you're yeah, if, if you're a politician, if you're a, a religious leader who tells people, advises people to do things that, you know, <clears throat> uh, will kill them. If you if you if you're an anti-vaxxer for money. What's are you capable like what what's the site? What's the pathology what's the diagnosis self-interest above everything else perceived self-interest and it works with a small percent not small you know 40 percent of the population which is fairly big i think in the dsm in the diagnostic statistical manual uh number three those people were called douchebags <laughs> You know, um, you and the, the Latin words, I don't understand. Why can't you guys speak English? You know, subsequently it was revised, but that was the original diagnosis. So a, a patient, let me ask the real doctor. Well, wait a second. See, we're all bonding over making fun. Yes. Of those people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So a, a patient comes in and says, I'm making a lot of money uh, writing running a website telling people that ivermectin works and people shouldn't get back, blah, 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 all that stuff. I kind of know it's wrong, but I'm making a fortune, doctor. Uh, what do you do? do? you say, tell me about your mother? <laughs> or do you pass judgment? I never, I never say that. But I listen for any conflict 
Um, I once had a guy who came in. He was a businessman who had different kinds of businesses. He, and he had bought a business recently where he made bullets. And he said, this was the most fantastic business that he ever came across. It worked 365 days a year, including Christmas, New Year's, three shifts a day, bullets, bullets, bullets. There's just an insatiable need for bullets. And, and um, I, I, I don't express outrage or anything. But at some point, I saw in a uh, room to, to point out his conflict over this. And he could see it. And that's the last time I ever saw him. Was the conflict, should I move into bombs or, yeah. or should I stick with the bullets? This is, I'm good at bullets. Should I expand it? Uh, oh, so he didn't want to explore. He didn't want to go there. Interesting. Nope. Wow. All right. Last question. This is great. This is one of our best ever. Uh, I become a billionaire. Never have to work again for the rest of my life. And well, a billion isn't what he's. <laughs> that's true. Not at least not a little in New breathing York. room. A little breathing room. But yeah. All right, I move, let's say, to, you know, Iowa, where a billion right. goes a lot further. Yeah. And I decide my kid is never going to have to work again. My children will never, ever have to do anything they don't want to do. They don't have to go to college. The law says you have to go to school. So you can go, you, you know, you have to stay in school till you're 16, 17 or 18. Then I'm going to hand you money. And you'll never have to work or worry about money. I want you to read catalogs and just buy things and pursue whatever you're interested in. Is that automatically a recipe for drug addiction? Can can a child, an adult, survive a, a parent who who does that to their kid? Parenting, allow me to just yeah. get going here. Parenting, and I say this as someone who is not a parent, parenting can be both. Actually, let one of you guys. <laughs> it wasn't so apparent being, being a parent, was it? Parenting, I just realized it's harder than I thought. <laughs> not if you, not what, if I was a great parent in my mind i was a great parent yeah i didn't care which i think is the secret to parenting <laughs> just don't care doctor i have seen kids who have been raised like that are there really kids who are raised that way where the yes there are you don't have to work you don't have to do anything because we're incredibly rich most often it truly is a recipe for disaster. Once in a while, you have a kid who nevertheless 
Um, and how we did this or she did this is, is not always easy to figure out. But sometimes somebody comes out of an environment like that and wants to be a productive human being and wants to be different from everybody else in the family. So I think mostly it's a recipe for disaster, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes. Yeah. So the professional community, doctors, priests, rabbis, ministers, lawyers, if you polled people who have uh, counseled the children of billionaires, if you polled people who work for billionaires, advise billionaires, what percentage would you guess would say it's not healthy to leave a billion dollars to your children? What, what, what do you think? Again, there's no we're just spitballing here. But what do you, what percentage of uh, professionals like yourself would think, I don't think it's a good idea to leave a billion dollars to your kids? I defer to my colleague. I, the only person I know in this, uh, in this, uh, with this problem was Buffett. And I know Warren Buffett didn't, he intentionally didn't leave them gobs of money. He gave most of it to. I think Howie Buffett became a, uh, first of all, I think Howie Buffett would have preferred being a boy named Sue instead of Howie. Who names their, uh, Howie Buffett. I think he turned to agriculture. Like he has a big farm somewhere. I just know that he gave, I think he, he intentionally, he made sure to give them an amount that wasn't going to destroy them in the way you're talking about, that they, but, that they had to and that they went ahead and pursued something. Uh, I, I bet they get a billion, at least a billion. I don't know. I think oh. he, gave, he gave most of it away to, no, I think it's a lot less than that. He gave most of it to the Gates, uh, you know, that pledge that Gates took and Buffett took, you know, so. And uh, it depends how it is given. If it's given with the idea, hey, guy, you're on easy street. You never have to lift a finger. You can just live it up. Also, as if it's given. To, what's that? No, no, go ahead. Sorry. As opposed to, hey, I'm giving you this thing. It's really not the most important thing in the world. I want you to do something good with it. And I want you to develop yourself in some good way, that that's totally different. So it's not so much the amount of the dollars. Well, I guess at a huge amount it is. But I, I was also going to say it really depends if you're going to give them, if you're giving them cash, for example, versus giving it, giving it to them all in nickels. <laughs> that there's, it's hard, even though it's a billion dollars, it's just right. hard to move that around. It's very yeah, cumbersome. Are there people in New York City, and I think there are, and then we'll wrap it up, who could go through a billion dollars in a year? If, if you had to go through a billion dollars, no. yes. is it possible to spend a billion dollars? There was a rumor, by the way, speaking of the nickels, that when I was a kid, there was a rumor that Rockefeller had his whole fortune in dimes. <laughs> <laughs> and I believed it for a while. 
Well, wasn't he famous for giving out dimes to everybody? That was it. That was yeah. it. And you think he could have afforded a better toupee. That was the worst, uh, as bad as Frank Luntz. A great man once said, I think it was Dr. Samuel Benjamin. Yes. Who pointed out that the dime is smaller than the nickel. And I never forgot that. Why is the dime smaller than the nickel? Do you remember? No one knows. It's a mystery. No, you, you explained worth, why. It's worth twice as much, but it's, uh, it's half the size. Why is it half the well, size? By, by the way, let me. Oh, excuse me. Let me. You, for, you, you explained why. It's, that if, it's just an, another dose of bubamyces. No, you said it was, it was brilliant. You said well, a dime is smaller than a nickel because it. It doesn't have to be big. It's worth more. There it, you go. That, that, I like it. Yeah, it has a lot of self 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 worth. Yeah. Go ahead, doctor. Yeah. Most of the Rockefellers, because of some kind of family ethos, Presbyterian work thing, most of them turned out to be productive people in one way or another. Nelson Rockefeller. Um, there was one who, who devoted her life to collecting rhododendrons of a million different species in the Himalayas. They did stuff. Right. As opposed to a family like the Kennedys, who, except for Bobby, uh, even including him for a while, they produced playboys. Right. Who turned to politics and or the Bush family, but the Kennedys didn't have Rockefeller money. By the way, the Rockefellers divested themselves of ExxonMobil stock. Good. Yeah, about three years ago, they said that's it. We're we're done. Not to save the planet. They think it's a bad investment. No, they said it was. They said this is destroying the planet, and we want no part of it. Fantastic. And now we look now we learn that Exxon knew this 20 years ago. Yep. Yep. Let's find out what you're reading and then we'll plug some gigs. This was one of our best ones ever. What are you reading? If you keep saying that, people are going to start to believe it. Well, this was, this was great. Okay. What are you reading? I'm reading this book that's really good. It's a French book called Yoga. Yoga. But it's yoga because it's French. And it's a guy, it's one of these books that explores a guy's exploration of uh, an ancient discipline. Uh, it's, it's a good memoir. And Dr. Dr. Hirschenfeld, what are you reading? I am listening to Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, which is a fabulous book. But I and I've read it before. But what I learned, the hero is called Pip, right? His real name was Philip. Hmm. Like me. The way he got the name Pip is when he was a very little kid, he couldn't pronounce Philip. He would call himself Pip. And that stuck as his nickname. I just read that. Um, hmm. When I was a little kid, I couldn't pronounce Philip either. So I would call myself Up Up. And when any of my loving aunts would say, what's your name? I would say, up, up. They would say, up, up. 
and I would get enraged and say, no, up, up. <laughs> so me and Pip, you know, we have something in common. And that's why you uh, always punch the elevator operator in your building. Up, up. Uh, great. And so IntraQuest, the podcast, and the book is Today Is Now by Dr. Samuel Benjamin. Go buy it. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, and thank you, Ethan Hershenfeld. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, David. Thank you. Goodbye. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.